You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast. Today's message is brought to you by external elder Rob Conti. I, uh, I love getting to be with you guys um, and uh, seeing some of you guys again. I want to thank you, uh, the shower that y'all threw for uh, my wife and son who is on the way, my boy, male child. Um, so yeah, hey, Luke. Um, yeah, so we're we're excited about that, and just thank you guys so much for uh, um, supporting us and loving us, and uh, you guys are in our thoughts and prayers often, and uh, really, you know, Adam talking about being an external elder, like it's, I just I I love I love it because I, I you know a lot of times I forget to think about it in those terms because I just think about it as Adam calling me with you know a million questions to answer in about ten seconds, um, which I just love. That's how our friendship has always been. Like we just discuss these theological things and church issues and so it's just been a continuation of that um but to to come here and to remember again like oh this is happening like you guys you guys are doing this you're doing christianity you're doing church and um with the emphasis that's even yes yes amen (laughs) you know and with the emphasis that's even you know behind me just you know with with god's plan for his people that are uh spread across the globe is just exciting so Love you guys. I, I'm I'm excited to be here, and especially right now. I mean, uh, for one, I already feel filled up, excited about Christmas, about the Lord, about the gospel. After you know Adam sharing this morning, and then to worship him with through those songs and just be led into the presence of Christ. Like I already feel like, all right, let's go out and do this. You know, um, but to get here and, and stand in front of you and to preach the gospel, especially this time of year, is just Man, what a privilege, what an honor to, to talk about Jesus anytime, but um, around Christmas when we, when we really are able to um, pause for this season and um, maybe, you know, it's, it should always be our focus, but to, to maybe slow down and, and to think more in, um, in-depthly about who Christ is and why he came and what this all means. Because um, I know for me, Christmas starts, for, for me and my house, Christmas starts after Halloween. I mean, and, and I don't care. I don't care. I love Christmas. Um, that's when we start decorating. We don't start decorating after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving should be the middle point for Christmas. Like, we start decorating after Halloween. Like, lights are going up. The $6 Dollar General Christmas tree until my kids are a little bit older. That's what we're going to have because uh, they tackle it once a day. Um, we got that tree. That tree goes up, and we start celebrating Christmas. We're doing Christmas carols and uh, the cheesy, funny ones and the, the deep, meaningful, doctrinally rich ones. Um, you know, one, just because I love it. Like, I just love it. Um, do you all love it? Some of you all looking at me like I'm crazy, but maybe that's just the way that you should react to how I look. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just love Christmas. I love it. And, uh, and for me, like, to... to begin to build the anticipation for what we're going to celebrate in a couple of days, like to start that, um, you know, as early as possible, uh, just because I love it. But then also, and, and I guess what we'll get to here in a minute more is, you know, what it means for me personally, like what it means, you know, for eternity. Um, but as Sarah and I have, you know, are, are raising our kids and, you know, um, teaching them who God is and trying to make Christ central in our home, Every day, like this time of year, is just man. This is huge for us. And what we what we've really been wrestling with the last couple of years, and you know, really trying to 
um, I don't know if perfect's the right word, but just really build towards is we want to, as Christmas approaches, we want this like rolling, building, billowing sense of anticipation to form in our kids for Christmas morning, right? Um, for And really for us, you know, uh, Christmas Eve night, to me it's all just one time, you just get to take a nap in the middle of it, like, you know, that, that we're building towards this with them. And, uh, you know, and presents are great, you know, like we, we do presents, we do, uh, you know, Christmas tree, we do lights, you know, we're not so holy that we can't observe some of these traditions. Um, if you are, I didn't mean that to be offensive. Uh, maybe I did subconsciously, but I wasn't like, I don't know if that's you. Get over it. No. Um, uh, you know, like, man, I, we love the traditions, and not for tradition's sake, but because of what it all, you know, brings back for us that, that we can recognize those things. I think Adam talked about this recently. Um, we can recognize those things. Maybe it was something on Facebook I read you posted. But uh, but that, that we can keep Christ central in them, right? That that we can give gifts and receive gifts and, and indulge for a season in food and, and, and just and rest and family like we do this for the gospel, right? And, and we see that. I mean, God does that with his people throughout history. He gives them these seasons of feast and festival just to, to celebrate him, right? And that's our duty. Our duty is that he gives us these times as a gift, and we need to turn that back into, into worship and praise, um, and so we want to do this with our kids, and uh, it's fun. I mean, it's, you know, some things like that we've tried, you know, haven't connected, but um, but a lot of them have. And one of the things that we've been doing, uh, starting a couple weeks ago, is uh, you guys probably didn't know this, but Sarah and I are accomplished uh, thespians. And uh, so what we've been doing is uh, for our kids, especially, well, for both of them, uh, is they they connect so well when we act out. Bible stories, uh, and so we've got you know somebody comes in and handles our our makeup and wardrobe, which uh, I I played Gabriel. I got uh, I, I was accepted for the role of Gabriel recently by the producer, which I also happened to hold that position, and uh, <laughs> and so I took Marissa, my two-year-old's got a pair of gold tights, and uh, I took those gold tights and those became my halo. Uh, put the right over my forehead, and then a blue blanket over top. Well, no, Sarah had the blue bank blanket because she naturally she was married. I think I had a tan blanket, and uh, you know, so we start acting out this story, and and but we're doing just just small little clips of it. And uh, the other night we we finished a scene. I think it was just it, it was that scene. I think either Gabriel and Mary, or maybe it was the angel and and Joseph, um, which that's playing Joseph in that scene is pretty easy because you just like kind of toss and turn while Gabriel's speaking. You're like, oh, what, huh? You know, uh, it's not too hard. Anybody can do this with their kids. Um, feel free to take these ideas and run with them. Um, you know, but we got done, and, and Molly, my oldest, she's like, she's so amped up. She's like, keep going. Like, you know, we, and I forget how she worded it. It was much cuter than what I'm about to do, but she was like, you know, we, the manger, like, we got to go, like, Jesus needs to be born. And I was like, nope. Not yet. We're we're waiting till Christmas Eve, and she did like this, like little like, like like she's about to burst with anticipation, and I was like, good. Like I want her to feel that. I want her to 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 anticipate and love what we're building to, the coming of the Messiah, the the birth of Jesus, right? Like, I don't ever want to get over that. I don't ever get over the gospel, 
right? And even, I, I just, I mean, for, for preparing to come here, um, I was talking to Brody, who's uh, another elder of the church I work with. He, he's my boss at camp. Um, and uh, I was saying, I said, man, I'm, I'm intimidated to go preach there. Um, and he's like, he's like, why is that? And I was like, I was like, have you listened to Adam preach? <laughs> like, it's so good. It's so deep. It's so, uh, it's just, he's just an awesome preacher. I mean, you guys, you guys know that. And I said, it's intimidating to prepare to go preach there because the whole time I'm thinking, uh, how would Adam handle it? You know, they get playing these mind games, and which he's always good to talk to because he's like, ah, well, then go in the other direction. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, just keep it surface and be funny, get him to laugh. And I was like, what? But, uh, um, so, yeah. What are you laughing at? Go look up. No, uh, and, you know, so, and just, but, but to bring it back to, man, again, like, what a privilege to get to share about Christ. Like, I don't want to get over that. I don't want to think, you know, to get over what's so simple about Christmas. I guess that's where I was going with that point is that it doesn't have to be like unlocking secrets of the gospel you guys have never heard before as much as this, this morning should be about like just coming back to the, the humbling truth of the beauty of, of God becoming one of us in this baby in a manger, right? Um, and, and we don't get over that. Like, and, and it is deeper than our minds can comprehend, right? Like here, here, here's, the, here's the, the mystery that none of us can really get. God became a man in the womb of a virgin, okay? So that's as deep as I can go, but that's what we're going to talk about. All right, so I'm going to stop talking about what we're going to talk about. I'm going to pray, and then we'll talk about it. All right. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. Um, God, thank you for this honor and this privilege to, to get to be here with this body of believers on, on this morning. Um, God, thank you for the way that I know my family's already been encouraged by this church um, consistently, and, and especially the last couple of days, and then uh, hearing your word this morning already and, and getting to praise you in, in such a um, worshipful way. God, I pray that right now that your spirit would just continue to control and direct this worship service. God, use me as just a vessel in your hand. I pray that you will draw our attention to yourself. In Christ's name, amen. You know, so for us, the anticipation is in remembrance, by and large. By and large, with Christmas, the anticipation that we should feel for this is in remembrance, to celebrate what Christ has already accomplished, right? And in, in his, his coming, his, his life, his death, his resurrection. Like, we celebrate Christmas, by and large, and remembrance, and so there's this anticipation of celebrating this, right? And, and, and not wholly. I mean, we'll talk about this in a minute. Adam already mentioned it. Like we're also like, Christmas should remind us of His first coming and give us absolute, steadfast confidence in His second coming. That's coming back, right? So that that that's not void here. That's very much present in what we're what we're doing, what we're talking about. But for us, it, by and large, it is remembering, celebrating what's already happened. And, and so for a second, though, I want us to, to step back, literally and figuratively, that we step back and think about, I mean, for these people, for, for, you know, for Mary, for Joseph, for Simeon and, and Anna and, you know, the shepherds and, and, you know, the wise men and how whatever they knew before, you know, coming to Jesus, like, you know, for them to, to, to be on the other side of this and how they, they were anticipating the coming of Christ, but in a, a different way than, than we anticipate the celebrating of it. Like that, that to think of, of what darkness, by and large, they were in, right? Because 
Because that's how this story really begins, is back in the garden, right? Back in the garden when the human race that we dove through our first father and first mother, we dove headlong and plunged into sin. And by plunging into sin, we were immersed in death, right? And that our lives become vanity and and empty and, and, and meaningless apart from God's grace and his salvation is intervening, right? And so, well, let's look at it real quick. Genesis chapter 3. All right. Genesis chapter 3, the fall happens, starting verse uh, 13. Then Yahweh God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right. So, so right here in the midst of the curse, right in the midst of the, the coming to terms with the consequence of their action, right, and, and we can lump our, all of ourselves in there, like our action as human beings, we get lumped in here, right, is that and, and judgment and death is being handed out, but in the middle of it is grace. In the middle of it is this, this ray of hope where... This, as Adam said this morning, like, before the foundation of the world, this was God's plan, and it begins to shine through right here, right? As he, as he deals with the enemy, he says, but the, the seed of the woman, or in this version it just says the offspring, right? The, the offspring of the woman, the seed of the woman is going to come, and ultimately he's going to crush you. He's going to crush your head, right? That the, that the gospel, the first light of the gospel, springs forth from this dark moment of death, and, and, and destruction as, as we're coming to terms with our sin. But in God's grace, the gospel begins to be preached. Right? And, and we see this throughout Israel's history, or even you know, before Israel, as, as God is revealing himself to Abraham. And these promises are being made, and, and he's making the, this covenant with Abraham and making these awesome promises about him having all these people descend from him and how he's going to be the father of a multitude and they'll have their own land. And, and then he says... In, in, and there's going to be this king. There's going to be this king that the scepter is not going to leave you and um, from your line. And that through that, all the nations of the world, all the people groups of the world, ultimately will be blessed, right? And so in this, the gospel is being preached as God's redeeming and, and, he, and he's unfolding his plan of redemption. Hope is coming out there, right? Now, we can look back from our perspective and fill in all the theological gaps possible, Right? But think about, I mean, as this is unfolding, as, as the gospel is unfolding, as God is revealing this, I mean, they're, they're holding on to these, these statements and promises of God, right? And as Adam pointed out, again, that, that it's entrusting the word of God, that God, by, by that faith, would grant them righteousness as they believed him and trusted him, right? And that the gospel is coming through, that these ray of, rays of hope are coming into the darkness and pointing to Christ. Um, he promises that, that that Jesus would be 
the, the Messiah as it begins to unfold and form. And, you know, we don't, I'm not going to go into like every Old Testament prophecy, but we begin to see that, you know, the, the Messiah is going to be a prophet, right? That Moses said, hey, be looking for this prophet who will be like me, right, in Deuteronomy. That we learn that he's going to be a king, that he'll sit on the throne of his father, David, right? And, that, and be of the tribe of Judah, and the scepter will never leave him. The scepter of righteousness will never leave him. And that he'll, he'll rule ultimately forever, right? That he's going to be a prophet like Moses. He'll be a king greater than David. That he'll be a priest. Um, really cool, the, the only place, one of the only places that really even speaks of Jesus as being a priest before the book of Hebrews where the psalm writer says that he'll be, he'll be a, well, let's go to it. Let's read that one. Psalm 110. Y'all with me? I think my coffee high is kind of wearing off, and so I think I'll be able to take it down here a notch in a minute. Psalm 110. This is awesome. The Lord Yahweh says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Yahweh sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Which is really cool because... You know, for Israel, the king had to come from the tribe of Judah, while the priests were of the tribe of Levi, right? So there wasn't a, a, a mixing of these two uh, roles in, in, in Israel. But here even we have this promise that, well, the Messiah, he will, right? And that's, that, again, it's, we can look back through Hebrews and see how that all unfolds. But for them, this is mysterious, that this, this Messiah is going to come and somehow he's going to be king but somehow he's going to be priest, and, and, he, and he says here, he says, he'll be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the, the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will, be, he will lift up his head. This, these beautiful hope, this beautiful hope starts to shine through, right? And for them, this anticipation is building. The Messiah is coming, right? And they're getting glimpses of what he's going to be like, right? that he'll be this king, that he'll be this, this priest, that he'll be this prophet. He's going to speak God's words. That's why, you know, in the, in, in the first chapter of Hebrews is so amazing is, is the writer says, listen, God had spoken to us in the past by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. And that's when, when he says that Jesus is so much greater than the angels. The point is that, you know, he's making, is that Jesus, the message that Jesus brings of who Yahweh is, is so much better than the message that the angels delivered to the prophets about who Yahweh is and was to be delivered to the people. Because Jesus is Yahweh, right? That he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So yeah, the message is better because the messenger is better, and he's better because he is God. He is God, right? So this, this hope starts shining forth. Um, you know, we, we see in, in Isaiah that he would be born of a virgin. Turn, turn there with me, just because it's, it's good. 
Isaiah 7, 14. And again, we have... It's so awesome to get to read these back through the lens of the New Testament. But, you know, I'm sure you guys have done this where you go back and you read some of these prophecies and you read, like, the chapter surrounding it. Adam and I were talking about this this morning, like, you can see why they didn't quite understand it all. I mean, you go read the chapter and the context around a lot of these prophecies that the New Testament writers are saying, hey, this is about the Messiah. And it's difficult. It's difficult to, to have context for what's really going on. But, the, but Isaiah says this in verse, four, or verse 14 of chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. All right. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. So this anticipation grows throughout Israel's history as they get more and more information. And and obviously there's a lot more prophecies that we could look at and and a lot more glimpses of the Messiah and typology throughout the the narrative story of redemption. But this builds for Israel. And and, and even in the time that they're living in, I mean, it's been uh, 400, 400 years or so where they haven't really had a prophet. They really haven't heard from the Lord, right? And they're, they're, they're oppressed, they're subdued by the Roman government, and there's this longing, and, and, and some of them are holding on to these messianic hopes in a, in a humanistic way, right? They want a, a physical leader to physically deliver them from Israel. And some of them are very much holding on to it for the hope of you know, a, a deeper release from a, a more serious oppression, the oppression of sin, that you got people who... Whoops, excuse me. Um, you got people like Simeon and, and Anna who, who recognize the truth and are waiting for a, a salvation to come, and they, they recognize Jesus when he appears, but, but they're holding on to this hope. And now it's here, right? Now it, it, it's come. Um, well, we're going to jump in. Angel, the angel Gabriel has already come to Zechariah when he goes in to, to serve as priest and to offer incense. And, you know, this revelation is given, you know, for all we know, it's the first in, in 400 years. Now, there's this, this period that we don't know much about. But, but the angel comes and appears to him and says, hey, your wife is going to have a son. You should call him John. He's going to be the forerunner. And, and unfortunately, you know, his response is kind of unbelief. He's like, ah, what are you talking about? And so he's struck where he can't speak until after the baby's born. Um, but, but the announcement has been made. It's coming. It's starting, Right. And uh, I think it's Galatians chapter 4, right, that says, At the appointed time, God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin, born under the law, to deliver those who were under the law so that we could be adopted as sons, right? The appointed time, at God's perfect, appointed, sovereign time. And here it is. We're about to read it. You guys feel full of anticipation? Like, let's do it. (laughs) Here we are. So, verse 26 of chapter 1 of Luke. And the sixth month, the sixth month, and is referring to the sixth month of uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Right? And we know that, you know, the way that Luke even says it, he says this city in Galilee, he's drawn attention because people probably just 
wouldn't know where Nazareth was, especially if this is written to a more Gentile audience. They wouldn't know. It's just a small, insignificant town. It's not really mentioned uh, much at all in in the history surrounding the Bible. It's just a small town, right? That you know, and even other places in the, in the scriptures, it's like, wow, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? That it's just, it, it, and even in the prophecies concerning the Messiah, it's, this is mysterious. But but what happens is the angel goes to this small town. And, and, you know, we've thought about this before, right? This small, oppressed town of a small, oppressed people group. And just another people group oppressed by the Roman government. But the angel comes and he comes to this girl, right? Mary. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Okay? So he comes to Mary who's betrothed um, to Joseph. You know, not... Not really engaged in the way that we think of it, um, but this was a, a legal, a legal deal that they had, you know, come together in the in the presence of other people, of other witnesses, and um, it's a like a legal union where they could even be referred to as husband and wife. But that for a year, uh, you know, if they followed the traditions of that time, um, for a year they wouldn't have actually come together as husband and wife. That that Joseph would have spent that year. Um, building a house or a place for them to live, Mary would have, you know, stayed with her family and um, just, you know, waiting, and you know, and then they would have this seven-day feast and party, basically, and then at the end of that, they would come together and they'd be husband and wife in all uh, senses of the, those terms, and they would start their life together, right? So they're in that period, some somewhere in that period, this pledge has happened, and now they're waiting for the fulfillment. To be uh, to come together as husband and wife, and during that time, the angel comes to Mary. And that's you know people traditionally at that time, uh, you know girls were engaged between 12 and 15. So we think that she was probably somewhere in, in that range, which obviously you know would have been a, a different 12 or 15 from a 12 or 15 in 2012 in the United States. But still, she's a young girl, right? She's still a young girl. And this angel appears to her and, uh, and says this. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. All right, so he, he comes in and, and, and right away you know, gives a greeting, hello, comes into, seems by the language that he comes into probably her house, and they're there and he, he greets her and says that she's favored by God that she's a favored one by God. Um, it, it literally is the idea of like that God's grace is on her, that she's full of God's grace, right? And this is unfortunately where some make a big error or, or use it um, intentionally to try to build this doctrine that Mary herself uh, is not only full of grace, but is the one who then is able to dispense grace. That's not what's, what's happening here. What's happening here is that the angel's showing up and he's saying to her right away, you're full of God's grace. God's grace is upon you. God's grace is upon you. And Mary is, is troubled at this. It says that she's troubled by it. Um, some translations will say that she is perplexed by it because it actually says that she's troubled at the saying. And uh, until I really started looking at it, I think I just always kind of read over it and thought, well, yeah, she's troubled because this you know, angel appears, you know, how whatever that looks like, appears in her room and is like, hey, what's up? You know, and she's like, ah, 
you know, and, and throughout, I don't know if she made that noise. Um, I wouldn't have made that noise. Like, Gabriel, going. Um, no, because every time angels do show up, I mean, what do they always have to say to people? Don't be afraid or don't worship me because our human natural response is to be freaked out. Like some people just like fall over. They're so terrifying. Like grown men are like falling on their face just out of fear. Right? But with Mary, that doesn't, the, the text doesn't really point to her necessarily being afraid of him, but being troubled and perplexed and overwhelmed by what he says to her. Right? And so we can only really begin to, to speculate as to, okay, what's going on in her mind? Maybe it's just so overwhelming that, yeah, this angel's shown up and he's saying, God's grace is upon you. And maybe it's because she just is really uh, what what this whole passage would seem to indicate about her is that she's just really this simple, humble follower of Yahweh who loves the Lord, but in that recognizes that she's but a lowly girl, just a lowly handmaiden, a lowly servant, right? And so to, to have an angel show up in her house and say, God's favor is on you. His grace is filling you. His grace is on you. Maybe that just would be overwhelming. I think I think it would be. I got to understand why she is contemplating this greeting. You know, maybe, maybe it's that she was a, a really good student of God's word and really knew the stories of Scripture. And so maybe it was troubling when when this angel shows up and says God's favor is upon you, because maybe she knows how things typically play out for the individuals who God actually shows up and gives a specific tax, task to, right? Because it would be easy to kind of romanticize this here and be like, oh yeah, God's grace is on Mary. Like, you know, <clears throat> and we should, like, we shouldn't, you know, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about why we shouldn't worship Mary, right? Like, that's probably not a real issue for anybody in here, right? But we don't need to go to the other extreme then and, you know, and dismiss Mary. Like, I mean, what an example of, of faithfulness and faithfulness to the end. You know, and just the spirit that she had is, you know, should be uh, re- repeated and, and, and meditated on by all of us, right? But maybe, maybe she's sitting there and she's thinking about what it really looks like to have God's favor, God's grace on a person's life. Maybe she starts thinking through the characters of the Old Testament. And it wasn't an easy road, right? There's no romanticizing what their day-to-day life of God's favor on them really look like. It really looked like going through really difficult trials and, and being um, usually an outcast from society, right? Going through pain and suffering, whether, you know, it's Abraham wandering around for however long that, that joker lived, right? You know, maybe, maybe thinking about Joseph, God's favor being on Joseph. You know, it's easy to, to think about the end of Joseph's life and be like, yeah, it was awesome. Most of his life was spent in between serving and, and, and prison. And, and, I mean, back up even further, the guy's getting beat up by his brothers and thrown in a pit. God's favor upon you. Oh, slavery. More favor, right? Oh, you're lied about in prison. God's grace is on you. And it's easy to, to romanticize what this would mean to have God's grace on our lives. And for all of us, I think this is something that we should look at the example and think about. Like, what does it really mean to be used by God? What's that really going to look like? You know, when, 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 when your church is sending missionaries to difficult places and we pray for God's grace to go with them, we need to pray that. And we need to send them and think about what that's going to mean. 
Think about what it has meant historically for those who would follow God no matter what. Difficult. Maybe Mary had a clue. Uh-oh. <laughs> I know it's going to follow this. Something tough, right? Maybe. maybe. Uh, this is just speculation. But she's troubled at the same. And so he repeats himself. Uh, let, me, let me pick up. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So just to, to bring it back, and, and so what the angel says to her is, God loves you. His favor is upon you. You're full of grace. God loves you. I think what he's saying here when he repeats it is, God's grace is going to be enough. For whatever this, whatever this is about to mean for you, God's grace is enough. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. So right here, right away, first thing that the angel says to her, Behold, so he draws her attention to, here's the message, you will conceive. Um, there's, there's two different words in the, in the New Testament, there, and there may be more, but I, just, I know of two that uh, when it's talking about conception. And there's actually, a, in the Greek, there's, there's a word specific for the male's part in the conception. Concepting, I don't know if that's the word. The conception of a child. And then, and then there's a, a word that is typically used of the, the female's role. And, it, and it's interesting because, uh, you know, here, here obviously it's, it's that word. It, it's, it's just her part. And so I, I think right away here, um, I think what the angel is doing is as he's announcing this, he's, he's starting at the beginning with her, right? He's saying, you're going to conceive, okay? And we've already been told that she's a virgin, Right? And we're going to come back to that and talk about that. But he's already told her, you know, he knows she's a virgin. Luke's making that clear to us. And she's going to conceive. And I think the way that God inspired Luke to write this is that immediately our minds would go back to what? Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. The seed of the woman. Right? The first ray of hope that God puts on display in his revealing of himself and revealing his plan of redemption. And the angel saying, Behold... Here he is. Here, this is the one. This is the, the, the one who's going to crush Satan, right? The usurper, the one who in the garden took dominion that, that man was supposed to have and by that took the power of death and has used it to keep humanity enslaved and in darkness and futility. But now, but now the one's come. The seed of the woman has come. The offspring of Eve is come. He's in your womb, Mary. The one who's going to crush Satan's head. And I don't know, I don't know if, if, if that begins to click with her, but I think that's what the Lord wants us to see. The Lord wanted them to see is, this is Him. This is the Messiah. This is your hope. This is your Redeemer. This is your Savior. The one who's going to redeem what was lost at the very beginning. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, that name at that time was common, right? What was it really? What would they really have said in Israel? Joshua, right? It's, a, it's Yeshua. It's, just, it's a name Joshua, which is common and uh, really no surprise because of, of who you know, people would be named after. Uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, right? Wasn't that his last name? The son of Nun? I think so. Um, that Joshua, right? 
who God used to deliver the children of Israel from the wilderness wandering into the promised land, right? He used them to deliver, I mean, he used Joshua to deliver them from multiple enemies, ultimately to cross the Jordan, to go into Canaan, to go into the rest, to go into the promised land. God used him to deliver them. And, and Joshua's name means what? Does anybody know what Joshua's name is? Name, n- hey, how's it going? Does anybody know what Joshua's name means? Well, I know it. But, uh, <laughs> right, y- Yahweh shall save, right? Or Yahweh is salvation, which is just beautiful, right? As God weaves his story of redemption together, that we have this typology from the, the exodus and, and from the, the conquering of the land that the one that God puts in charge of leading the people into the promised land is named Joshua, which means Yahweh saves, Yahweh delivers, right? And it's a picture, again, it's, it's, it's part of the, that hope, the ray of hope shining through the Old Testament for people to understand. And Jesus, the angel says to him, just like he says to, to Joseph later on, is that in, in Matthew's account, name him Jesus. Name him Yahweh is salvation. Because we know, we know, right, that, that for, for the Hebrews, their names meant more than just, like, my name is Robert. And I think once I was in a, a gas station, and I saw a little plate, and it said, Robert, uh, something sort of whatever. I don't know. I don't know what the name Robert means. But I know when my parents picked it for me, it was because I had an uncle named Robert. That's all I really know, right? We named our daughter Molly after my grandmother. So there's, there's some meaning there for us. Uh, we named um, our second daughter Marissa because we were running out of time and we didn't know what to call her. And now we call her Riss, and I feel bad because I don't really, I'm like, ah, that's a name. I love her. I just don't, her name, I feel like, could we have thought of something better? I don't know. We have these conversations. <laughs> we, we'll never tell her. We'll never tell her that, I promise. Well, yeah. Um, she's cute. Doesn't matter what we call her. Um, Ted, she'd still be cute. Be confusing for other people. All right. Um, <laughs> meaning of names, right? Like, we're going to name this kid, uh, this one, my son, the man child. We're going to name him Walker. And uh, already, like, and I'm sold on it. I just like the name. But, but what does that make you all think of? Texas Ranger, right? <laughs> now you're the only one thinking that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because you, you guys are in Zombie Town. I haven't seen this show. I apologize. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Everyone, I've been like, people are like, what do you call him? I'm like, Walker, and they're like, Texas Ranger, and I'm like, apparently, I should have watched that show in the '90s. I didn't, but um, but yeah, but it doesn't matter. We're we're still gonna call him Walker um, because his name's embroidered on a really cool uh, diaper bag now. So thank y'all. Um, so we're keeping it, um, the bag and the name. But for the Jews, <laughs> names meant something, right? Like, and, you, and you can look back through it. It's interesting even just to look as you're studying a story. And some, sometimes it, you know, it won't make sense, but you, know, you read through a story and stop and like, look up what somebody's name means. And so often it, it has a big, uh, it, it really is important to what's actually happening in the story of his life. Right? And so God's communicating to us and he's saying, okay, here's the child. The child who's going to be the seed of the woman who's going to crush the serpent's head. Call him Yeshua, 
Come Joshua. Come Jesus. Why? Because Yahweh is salvation. And just like Adam was teach, has been teaching, is that God has always been the God of salvation. Right? It's not the God of doom and gloom in the Old Testament and the God of hope and gladness in the New Testament. Right? That, that He is the same God that Yahweh has always been from the beginning a God of salvation. Why? We hear the verse that, um, that before the foundation of the world, right, that we were chosen in him. It's why it says that before the foundation of the world, Jesus was crucified. Why? It's who God is, his character, his person. He saves. He's a redeemer. And he's saying, here's Jesus. He's Yahweh. He is salvation, right? Whether it was God saving the Israelites out of, out of Egypt by telling them to put the blood of a lamb Kill a lamb, kill this animal that doesn't know which one's its head and which one's its back left hoof, right? Like, take the blood of this animal and put it on the doorpost, and death will pass over. And God saves them. He delivers them. God takes them to the Red Sea, and, and Yahweh is the God of deliverance as he opens the sea for them to pass through and then to crush Egypt underneath it. Yahweh is the God of salvation, Right? As, as they're bitten by snakes in the wilderness and God tells Moses to, to take a, a, this image of a serpent and to hold it up into the sky and everyone who looks on it would be delivered, right? Why? Because Yahweh is a God of salvation. When he brings them into the promised land, he's a God of salvation. When he delivers them from their enemies, he's the God of salvation. It's who he is. When he grants them righteousness by faith, why? Because he's the God of salvation. He delivers and that's who Jesus is, and it's what he's come to do. And, and the angel is proclaiming this to the world, and he's proclaiming it to us this morning, that the Messiah is bringing salvation from Yahweh. But in a way that has never been done before, because this child is Yahweh. And you shall call his name Jesus. Um, uh, let's look over at Matthew real quick, because uh, Matthew even spells it out more for us. He gives us the interpretation from the angel. Matthew 1. Sorry, uh, i got to turn pages like, you know, I'm a caveman. I don't have a, can't just do this. Um, all right, so, verse 20. So, Joseph's thinking about what's going on with Mary but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So he spells it out. Why, why is he being named Jesus? Why is he being named Joshua? Why, is it, why, are, you, why are we going to call this baby Yahweh is salvation. For he will save his people from their sins. And then he goes on. Matthew goes on and says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And this is Isaiah 9, or Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right? And that, and that comes from, uh, all from Isaiah 9, or 7. And he's saying, This is what it means. Yahweh's salvation. Why? He's going to deliver his people from their sin. And more than this, this is God with us. God is with you. 
This isn't God sending an angel, God sending a prophet, God sending a judge, God sending a king. This is God himself come. God is with you. God is with you and he is bringing salvation. Back to Luke 32. I got to pick up. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Um, just a, uh, earlier in the chapter, when God is, uh, or when the angel is given the prophecy about John the Baptist, he says that John the Baptist will be great before God. That, that John the Baptist will be great before God. And, you know, and so we got the same word here. For, for John, he's going to be great. For Jesus, he's going to be great. And it says he'll be great before before God. And, and, and there's this qualification here that he'll be great before the Lord, be great before God. Um, and, and we know that. I mean, Jesus gives such an awesome testimony of John when he says that there's there's never been anyone else like John. You know, like I mean, he just has the highest praise for John. He says there's no one else like him, right? But when it says that Jesus is great, the qualification's a little different. The reason why Jesus is great, what it means that Jesus is great, is a little different. John's great as a servant of the Lord, as a prophet who un, is uncompromising. He's not hindered by any kind of ex- external desire or lifestyle. or you know, I mean, he's just out there in the wilderness. He's the man who just is going to preach the coming of Christ. And he's just great before the Lord. When it talks about Jesus being great, and we're talking about this this status of being excellent and above and beyond anything else, it's tied to the qualification is he's the son of the most high, right? The most high that, that you know, this is the Greek equivalent to in the Old Testament, uh, El Elyon, right? Where it talks about the sovereign, um, majestic power and rule of God. So it's saying Jesus is great. Why is he so great? He's the son of the one true sovereign king over the universe, the creator God. He's the son. And again, for our mind, you know, to, to help us step into what's, what's happening probably in Mary's mind is, you know, she knows what the name means. She knows what the name means. And she knows that the, this whole idea of sonship has to do with, with taking on the nature and character, the essence of the father. And so when God is laying out this father-son relationship for us to understand this, uh, the, uh, exactly. Because that's about as far as our brain can go with the Trinity, right? As we be, grapple with the reality that Jesus is the son, right? That Jesus is the son of the most high. What the angel is saying is that he's great because he's the same as the one true sovereign king of the universe. We, right, we, already, we already quoted from, from Hebrews that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And Gabriel is preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. He's saying this is, this is him. This is the seed. In your womb, what's conceived in your womb is the one who's going to come and crush the enemy's head. He's Jesus. He's bringing salvation. He's going to save people from their sins. He's the son of the most high. He is God. In your womb. This is the one true sovereign over all of the universe. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching to us who Jesus is. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know, I, I didn't really mention Joseph when we, we, we kind of buzzed by him, but when it says that, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That, and, and so it comes back here and says he's going to reign over the, on, on his, the throne of his father David. That the, the writers of Scripture, both Matthew and Luke, emphasize Joseph as the adopted father for the legal claim, the legitimate legal claim of Jesus to the throne of his father David. Because Joseph is of the line of David, Jesus as his son, um, adopted or not, that that as being his son, he has legitimate legal claim to the throne. And that's, that's where the scriptures emphasize it. They emphasize it through Joseph. Okay? And so, and you know, we don't, we don't hear a lot about Joseph. I, I, love, uh, I love the Nativity movie. Have you guys ever watched that? Um, if you haven't, you should. It's just good. I mean, you could pick it apart and you know, say, well, this wasn't probably quite like this, and that wasn't probably, you know. Okay, well, after you're done doing that, enjoy the movie because it's really good, and it's a really good depiction of, uh, of the, the nativity. And, and what I like about that movie, and, and it's, you know, speculation on the character of Joseph because we just don't see much of him, but it just really portrays a humble, um, a humble man who loves the Lord and wants to love his family, you know, and it's just cool. Um, but what the writer is emphasizing here is Jesus' throne, a claim to the throne, right? Because we know that the kingdom would never leave Judah, would never leave David's line, and Jesus is fulfilling that. That he's come not only to make right what went wrong in the garden as far as uh, we came under, where we pl- were plunged into sin, and by that sin came under the consequence of death eternal. And so he's come to save us from that. But he's also, in, in crushing the enemy's head, he's taking back the dominion that we lost, right? As humans, Adam and Eve were created to have dominion over this planet. You know, go read the first three chapters of Genesis. Like, we were created to have dominion, and when the enemy came in and lied, he usurped that authority. And then we see Satan throughout Scripture that he is the God of this age. He's the prince of the power of the air, that he has his power over death, and that he is tempting Jesus with the kingdoms of the world. How can he do that? He took the dominion that we were created for, that we were created to have in worship of Yahweh, and we lost it. But Jesus is coming once and for all to take it back. David was a picture of it, but, but a, a, a faulty picture of it, right? And we love David. David was a man after God's own heart, and he failed miserably, right, at the end. He didn't finish well. But Jesus is coming to sit on that throne, and he will never relinquish it. And, and just to stop and think about this for a minute, it would just be easy to go over, and, I, and I'm almost done. But we turn on the news, right? Read a newspaper, hear about what's going on in schools and, you know, and, and other countries and wars and the rumors of wars and persecution and oppression. and I mean, just... I don't have to elaborate, right? Like, we know this world is jacked up. This world is broken. There's pain and there's suffering and there's death all around us. We live in Disney World, right, compared to the rest of the world. You don't have to agree with me, but we do. We live in a Disney World on this planet. And it still, it still comes in, right? We still have school shootings and, and death and rape and murder and, and you name it. It still goes on in this country as well. 
Why? Well, we, well, we fell into sin. The curse spread to everything. And the evil one was given dominion. And what the angel is saying here is that, oh no. This one in your womb, he's coming to take that back. And he will never relinquish it. What does that mean? It means that when he sets up his kingdom for real, I mean, it's going on right now, right? Jesus told Pilate, like, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, we'd fight, we'd win. But he didn't say it like that. Jesus wasn't as sarcastic as I am. But right, he's saying, my kingdom's not of this world. Right? There's more going on here than a physical throne. But that time is coming, right? That's, that's what we're, we're looking back in anticipation of celebrating what's happened and we're going to anticipate what Christ is bringing. And what he's bringing is a kingdom that will never end when he rules and reigns, when his enemies are finally and forever made his footstool. And that should give us so much hope in the sovereignty of God because when he sets up that kingdom, sin and death and destruction will never, ever affect us like it has in our, for all we've ever known in our existence as human beings. That'll end. When, when the just one, when the righteous one who... The scripture says that, that Jesus loves righteousness, loves righteousness and hates wickedness. And that's why that he rules and reigns as, as king of kings and lord of lords. That he's setting up this government. Well, let's, the way that Isaiah says it is so awesome in Isaiah 9. Y'all, y'all tracking with me? All right. For to us, 9-6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do it. The passion of Yahweh will set this kingdom up. And sin will have no power under the dominion of the true king when God takes back what we lost and redeems it forever. And the angel is saying to Mary, this is who's in your womb. This is who's in your womb. This is the Savior. This has been the one you've been waiting for since the fall and throughout history to this point, the Messiah. This is who he is. He's going to save us from our sin. He's going to crush the enemy. He's going to set up his kingdom that will last forever. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Virgin. Briefly, we just know, I mean, the context could not be more clear, right? Like in, in the actual literal uh, better translation, and not better because it means the same thing, but just a more literal translation would say, How can this be? I've never known a man, right? I think it's how the King James still translate, New King James still translates it. You know, Mary's not saying, Hey, I've never met a man before. I've heard about him. Um, my mom tells me that I ha- my dad's a man, but I, how can this be? I don't know what a man is. You know, it, it's, it's a euphemism, right? She's saying, how can this be? Right? And that's why it says virgin, right? Um, it, it, the context can be more clear in the fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied. This is a miracle. And, and this, I mean, I, I just haven't left myself the time, and I want to, but... But this is the miracle, is the conception. The conception that's happening inside Mary's womb. And she asks such a good question. And it's not, not like Zechariah where it seems to be in doubt, but just in amazement. Like, 
all right. I mean, it seems, I mean, Mary's whole attitude through this is submissive and one of belief and trust. But ask a good question. Okay, so I've heard how this works. That hasn't happened, so how is this going to be? And just what it really is is a beautiful alley-oop to Gabriel to, to give us the best understanding of who Christ is um, as the God-man. Because the angel replies in verse 35 and answers, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Um, really cool. Uh, notes. Um, some people emphasize here with the Holy Spirit coming upon her, uh, and they point back to creation. Okay, they point back to creation when it says that you know the the earth was void um, and there wasn't shape. And the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the water. Remember that? And, they, it, and some commentators point this language back to that thing and saying that, this, that, that God wants us to remember the creative work of the Holy Spirit hovering over the planet as he began to, to bring life and shape and form into creation. And so what the angel is saying is that this is what is happening in the womb of Mary. It's going to happen in the womb of Mary is that the Spirit of the Lord, the power of the Most High, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is God, the power of the Most High will overshadow her, will hover somehow in her womb, so that the child to be born will be called Holy, Son of the Most or Son of God. The two things that the creative work of the Holy Spirit, you know, we can't I mean you know, I remember seeing I don't know where I'm going, but I remember seeing a I teach this class called Wise Guys. It's like a sex ed type class in middle school and high school, and uh, um, which I don't know why they picked me, <laughs> what they were thinking. But uh, I get to go in there and really I just talk about the Lord. Um, but we watched this video one day, and it was amazing because somehow they like had a shrink ray and they shrunk like a whole camera crew, and they were inside the womb of this woman and they're, they're from, like, the earliest stages of conception. And, like, they, there wasn't really a shrink ray. It was just, I, I know that. I'm not, come on. Um, but, but, you know, you, we can go into the womb and watch from, from conception through term, right? Like, the child developing, I mean, just beautiful, amazing. I mean, that's, there's nothing more supernatural than what's going on there, right? Any, any time. But, but, I mean, what is this? What does this look like? I mean, God goes into the womb of this girl, right? And, 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 and he just gives us a hint of this creative act, this creative act, where so that, that Jesus is fully human inside the womb of this girl. He creates Jesus. But he's created so that in, in such a way that he would be called holy. Why is that significant? Because he's not born into the sin that you and I inherit, right? That, that, that he's kept from that. He's kept set apart from the sin of Adam and Eve that you and I inherit and is our nature that we're, as David says, that we're conceived in iniquity, we're brought forth in sin. Not Jesus. Because the creative, powerful work of the Holy Spirit in the womb of this virgin girl in Nazareth 
Jesus is holy so that we can understand that he's son of God. So that we can understand through the virgin birth. Well, he's, he's a human being. Like he had a, you know, we call it the virgin birth and we emphasize the birth when it's really the conception that's the miracle. But the Catholics hijacked that terminology so we don't really use it. The, what do they call it? The immaculate conception. That's a great name. They use it for Mary. Anyway, but great I mean, because this is where the miracle takes place. The miracle takes place in the womb of Mary for the conception so that we can understand that Jesus is born sinless, free from sin, that he's a real human being, that he was born like us. He, he was his, The actual birth, I'm sure, looked like almost any birth, right? Except for us, we've got drugs and doctors and all that stuff. But, I mean, a normal birth. Jesus is born. He's human. But he doesn't have a father, and the Holy Spirit overshadowed her womb. He's God. He's the Son of God. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in our old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, this teenage girl, maybe teenage girl, hears this news. The gospel, I mean, the gospel, in the, it, at, to this point, the gospel in its most clear form is preached to her by this heavenly being, this angel. And what's her response? Amen. Let it be to me according to your word. But, I mean, just beautiful. But he... If I can say another note about Mary, you know, the when Simeon comes to them and is prophesying, and, and he, you know, he gets to see Christ, and, he, and God had told him that he would get to see the Messiah, and he's going to die. Do you remember what he says to Mary at the end of that conversation? He looks at her and says, "And a sword will pierce your soul." Do you remember that? Oh, <laughs> thank you. Right? Like, all right. Trying to be happy about my baby boy. Going to get him circumcised. It's already kind of a stressful day. And a sword will pierce your soul. I, I should you know, make light for a second. But, I mean, seriously. So what, what's he talking about? I think he's talking about the end of the gospel. I think he's talking about what Mary would live to see. We don't think Joseph lived for it. But Mary was there. And, again, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful example we have in Mary who is faithful at the beginning and is faithful at the end but watches watches her savior die which you can't comprehend but watches her her baby die too if anybody ever had some sort of grasp on the incarnation it had to be mary who i mean <clears throat> i i don't know about those of you who are dads but like i i love like i love my son already but not like Sarah loves her already. Like, with all my kids, it was like, I know there's a baby in there because there's some evidence of it, but, and I can feel the kick, and I can even see in the heartbeat and the, the ultrasound deal. It's cool, but with all my kids, I wasn't emotionally attached to them until I held them. Not Sarah, not, not Lauren, right? When does that emotional attachment start? Well, I mean, right away, you got this this 
human inside of you, that your baby is inside of you. I, and I, in person, I don't want to know. I mean, I'm, I'm a little jealous, but when I think about it, no, nah, man, that's all you. <laughs> right? Like, oh, I like being on this side of the fence. But uh, I'm sure it's great. But, but I mean, it's, uh, think about it. I mean, she, she, has, she carried Jesus nine months in her womb. She loved him before she ever saw him. She watches her Savior die. She watches her son die. Pierces her soul, right? But she's faithful to the end. But I, I think that's what we need. We need to we need to go there ourselves if we can, is because, I mean, the gospel is preached here, right? The gospel is preached throughout the Old Testament. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. The birth of Christ, the one who will crush the enemy, the one who will save us from our sins, the one who will take the throne, the dominion that we lost and never relinquish it and rule in righteousness and justice and peace so that we don't have to feel the sting of sin and death anymore. This is Him. But we, 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 can't, we can't remember this part of it without remembering the way that, uh, and maybe we'll just end this way, is the way that Isaiah, who prophesies so amazing all the way through his book about the life of Christ, but, but maybe we can get a glimpse of why it would pierce Mary's soul so much is to understand the way that Isaiah sees how Jesus would fulfill all this, how Jesus would accomplish it. Isaiah 53. I'll start in uh, verse 13, actually, of 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with, with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt... He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, 
make many to be accounted righteous. They shall bear their iniquities. Beautiful. Beautiful. This whole story of redemption and the, the climax that starts in this room between an angel and a young girl, the gospel is proclaimed. But and, and we don't I don't have to remind you guys, but that it's just good and, and joy and sobering to be reminded that this is what Christ came for. This is how he accomplished our freedom from sin. This is how he destroys the enemies by his death. But also by his resurrection. And it's by the fulfillment of his virgin birth in Bethlehem, right? It's by the fulfillment of this sacrificial death and his resurrection that we have such hope and that he's coming again to set up that kingdom that'll never end. So as we go into Christmas, man, let's let's celebrate, right? Let's give gifts, let's receive gifts. Let's Let's not fast over Christmas. Let's indulge over Christmas and celebrate. Why? Because our God, Yahweh, is salvation. And he's rescuing us. He's rescuing us and He's coming back. So let, let's pause from our daily life and celebrate that with family, with friends, with church. But keeping in focus that this is a celebration of worship, who He is and what He's done. Let's pray for opportunities to, to preach this gospel to, to our community, right? To those who don't know, to those that this, this is just presence and money and material stuff, just family and alcohol and lots of food. Like, let's preach what this is really about. All right, I love you guys. Thank you for letting me share. Let, let, me, let me pray for us. Father God, Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your word. Lord Jesus. Thank you for coming, God, and humbling yourself to becoming one of us, humbling yourself to becoming a servant, humbling yourself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And we know that you rose and that you've been exalted above every name and that at your name, your name, the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And I, So I pray that we would do that now as we celebrate your birth, as we celebrate your life, God, that we would worship you through the way that we give and receive and, and, and partake in the good gifts that you've given us. I pray that we would turn it all back to praise for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. I couldn't help but think as Rob was walking us through that account how uh, the Bible very specifically calls this angel Gabriel. And it's very clear this is not the angel of the Lord anymore. It's almost as though the Father has to call upon the backup quarterback in this situation. It's like I'm used to sending the angel of the Lord, my messenger, my son in the Old Testament, but now he's preoccupied. He's headed to the womb, and so I'm calling upon Gabriel now to go and and be my messenger about the fact that I'm sending the angel of the Lord in a different different way now. Um, And and we know from the Gospels that we have very little information about Jesus in his early years. I mean, we have the, the birth account. We have the account at the temple. And then we skip right ahead to 33 year, 30 years old and he's starting his ministry. And I think that God the Father knew how important it was for us to see that he is a man and that he's got human beginnings in his humanity, that he's eternally existent. But the Christmas story is so important that we identify Jesus as a human, as the book of Hebrews says, just like us, just like us, so that he can be a sacrifice for us.
I appreciate Rob um, drawing our attention to an account that a lot of times we just read right through sometimes at Christmas time and, and fail to really see what was going on um, in that passage. appreciate you guys being here today. I encourage you as you leave to be intentional uh, with your time with family and friends over the next few days. Um, I know Rob had hoped to get into the account with the shepherds, um, but didn't have time. Uh, but I love what, what happens at the end of the shepherds announcement. It says they went with haste to tell everybody that they could um, that the Messiah had been born. And so I pray that we can go in haste as well this morning as we come in contact with people that we love dearly from an earthly perspective, um, that we can pass on the announcement of the Messiah to them so that we can also um, enjoy them in a spiritual sense as well as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sophope.org. Again, that's www.sophope.org. Thank you.